Join Levdi Ensemble this Christmas as they perform a festive programme of music for upper voices and harp, including a firm audience favourite, Britain's A Ceremony of Carols. They'll be in Trinity College Chapel, Cambridge on the 15th of December, St John the Divine in Kennington on the 16th of December, and All Saints Church in Alpington on the 17th of December. Tickets are available via the Levdi website. That's www.levdiensemble.com. Levdi spelt L-E-V-E-D-Y. And welcome to another episode of Where's My Freaking Dressing Room, a podcast discussing the world of opera and what things are really like backstage. My name's Alex. And I'm Helen. And today we would like to talk about separating work from politics. Breakdown of the week. Okay, another breakdown. Um, I'll kickstart this week. Uh, For me... The breakdown kind of came because I just felt like I had no room to kind of maneuver. Like I, my schedule was so densely packed, entirely my own doing. And I I just couldn't, it was almost like I couldn't see a way out. And that like feeling of being trapped was essentially what like gave me the breakdown because it was like I was planning my days so tightly and then the head of the program like asked me to do something really last minute. And I was just like, I don't have time for that. Like, I don't know when I could do that. I don't know how I would prepare that, blah, blah, blah. And um, it just really, like, sent me into such a bad, like, spiral. And so, um, yeah, I had a breakdown. (laughs) Yay. Okay, good. Um, But then I suppose after that, I tried to lose some of the work that wasn't as uh, crucial to me so like there were some things that I was like look you just don't need to do this much preparation it's only a rehearsal it's only a class it it's all right if you're not completely note perfect you know what I mean these things happen and then you know in other things like people I work for podcasts that I am a part of oh my um, God, stop just like asking them if, if people can help really because I was struggling a bit so And as we just discussed, cutting out caffeine, um, which Uh. I'm not sure if it's having a positive effect because I'm literally just permanently exhausted, but it is stopping me from feeling totally mental. Mm. So they're the things I've done. We're literally, yeah, we're like a few days post breakdown, so it still feels a bit weird, but we're getting there. How about you, Maybe I should describe (laughs) how you look to the listeners and that would really, you know, heighten things for everyone. (laughs) I won't. Don't worry, listener. Fuck off. Cute. I'm joking. So my breakdown um, was about money because I started really being, what am I trying to say? I started like obsessing over every single in and out uh, and it was getting to a really silly point, actually, where it was clearly like it, it was becoming a control thing. Um, so rather than a sensible thing, I'm reasonably sensible with my cash anyway, some of the time. Um, but, you know, I know I know my ingoings and outgoings. That's fine. Uh, but it was really 
Like I kept calculating things on my phone, like, oh, okay, well, this is what I've spent today, and this is this is outgoing, uh, and what this is all I'm getting today. But okay, so let's do that for the week and see if it's okay. Um, and like I I was in Sainsbury's and. Um, I just needed some onions to cook and three onions cost more than a pound. And I was like, I can't afford it. I can't, I'm not going to buy those three onions. Oh, I'm going to wait till I go to Aldi uh, like tomorrow or something because they're so much cheaper. They're only <gasps> 75p for three or whatever it is. Um, yeah, oh it was, it just got really oh, silly. And yeah. now I'm like, spend, 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 don't look. <laughs> I just, yeah, I really drove myself down. And yeah, to the fact I didn't have the dinner I wanted that night, which made me sad. Well, yeah, if you don't have any onions, you know, what are you What are you supposed to cook with no onions? Literally zero. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes, that was my sort of heading towards a breakdown. That's pretty intense. Yeah. (laughs) Breakdown of the week. So... We would like to structure this episode around three main questions, I think. So, question number one. Can we put our opinions aside to perform music by people whose views we disagree with? Question number two. Can we put our opinions aside to work with people whose actions and opinions we disagree with? Hmm. And question number three, what do we do about opera in particular? Um, There are so many issues of misogyny and outright racism, essentially, within many works that are staples of the operatic canon. How can we possibly get around such big issues? Ah, I'm changing! Okay, so first up, can we put our opinions aside to perform music by people whose views we disagree with? I actually think from my end, this this one is the most conflicting to answer clearly, because we said with each of these questions, we'd love to do a for and an against and offer some arguments to each side. But I think to offer a for in this case is difficult because everybody's boundaries are different and we all have things that are perhaps near to us and dear to us and that have meaning for us. And so, yeah, the different lines of of different people in the classical music canon are quite strong. So we thought we would just try and offer some ideas and say that if you think about these and, and think about the debate and you feel like, yes, you can separate, you know, the art from the politics and kind of go forward with it, that's great. And if that's not for you, we understand that too. So... If we were to offer a kind of full argument, I think we need to consider, yes, this age-old debate of whether art represents the political views of the artists. Now, we're an opera podcast, so we're just going to go straight in for the big kind of character on this debate, which would... Here we go. Drum roll, please. Which would be Wagner. Wagner is, you know, essentially notorious for his anti-Semitic views, not least uh, views that he made public, but he also wrote a large piece of text called Das Judentum in der Musik. And I mean, it's, we don't really need to go into detail about it, but it's hugely kind of disparaging about Jews and Judaism. Um, I think the thing that we wanted to consider in line with this is, do you see anti-Semitism in Wagner's operatic works. Now, if you're listening to this and you think, yes, I do, 
we'd actually really like to hear from you because uh, I've often tried to listen and, and think about it in that kind of vein and in that context. And I mean, perhaps because it's not part of my personal experience, um, I don't necessarily see so much uh, anti-Semitism in his works. But if you do, get in touch because I'd be very, very curious to know more. I think what we find confusing in this area is that there are composers out there who I think have made relatively obvious musical anti-Semitic statements. Um, you know, I, I, we've talked about this often, but for me, the the scene with the five Jews in Strauss's Salome, I often am very conflicted by because it... it I uh, Yeah, totally. You know, yeah. it's, it's one of my, if I'm honest, it's one of my favourite operas of all time. But every time we get to that scene, I, I do feel myself cringe in my seat because I'm like, well, this, you know, it's, it's a pretty reductive and, and offensive, really, portrayal. Um, you know, and, and the fact that they're called the five G's as well, I also find a bit weird. But it's interesting to me that Strauss gets none of the rap that Wagner gets, right? And then there was also, we were talking about Alevi, he wrote this opera called La Juive. And okay, that's not a massive part of the canon any, anymore. But equally, it's not something that we're sitting there and talking about very much. There are other composers out there who had pretty public anti-Semitic views. People like Liszt, Mussorgsky, and yet... Wagner is the one that really kind of is pinned in on this anti-Semitic rhetoric. Now, we also understand that Wagner was kind of one of uh, Hitler and the Nazi Party's kind of main musical sources. And so there is um, some hugely negative associations, I think, between Wagner, his music and everything that kind of occurred in World War II. But it's also worth us saying again that Wagner was dead before Hitler was born. So one has to be careful, I want to say, in kind of how you make these associations, how you understand these associations, what those associations mean to you. Now, I could have said all of that and you're still there listening to it and you're like, this doesn't sit well with me. This makes me feel highly uncomfortable. That's totally fair. But I think what we're trying to suggest is like, we do need to look at, you know, the whole situation when we consider composers their views and whether we feel comfortable performing their music because i mean again it's one of those things where if you go back let's say mozart whatever right that, that was a highly misogynistic era i don't feel great about the fact that there are multiple portrayals of women in mozart operas where they're silly you know they're just going with their flight of fancy they're just the romantic character however i'm able to kind of in, in this context, put it to one side. Now, I appreciate these are my boundaries. And for me, I'm cool with that. Similarly, I was saying to you before, you know, Vasily Petrenko, hugely miso misogynistic man. Um, but it doesn't stop me kind of it, it, personally from engaging with the music and, and the, the music making because I, I don't always necessarily feel that one kind of bleeds into the other. So I suppose what we're trying to say in this initial segment in terms of can you put your opinions aside to perform music by people with views that we disagree with. It's a personal line. And so, you know, if I feel comfortable with performing X because I've done my, my work and I, and I feel like I understand where I'm at, then yeah, I am going to do the performance. However, if somebody next to me, you know, has done their research and doesn't feel like they're okay with that, then, it, you know, that's, that's understandable. We're all going to have our own personal relation to whatever these kind of 
conflicting issues might be i don't know what you think are well i i totally agree with that but and also it's it's the research as well uh as surrounding the artist and when they were writing their work so you know uh, you mentioned mozart and you know the portrayal of women in, in his opera and i've read a lot of things which are saying compared to the text that he was presented with by da ponte you know the the character of susanna and the countess he totally changes their characters musically and gives them a much firmer stronger voice which totally undercuts all the men in the opera so you know yeah in in for a, from a modern no 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 it, well it's just it's just reading that you know that this is exactly what we're saying isn't it you know you can say yeah, yeah i don't totally. really like how the women are presented so i don't want to do it or or yeah. you know it's just an opinion that i've read perhaps and I, and i i have liked that opinion so i've taken it on board you know you could also disagree with that very easily um and you know similarly i think the first production of the ring i saw uh wagner's ring was totally uh, it was the one with the giants yeah, having really big together. hands and stuff it was very classic we saw it together and i remember someone saying like oh i really dislike the way alberich is portrayed like the hunch mm-hmm. like Ebenezer Scrooge like yeah, Jewish yeah. sort of persona and it's like oh I uh-huh. really didn't think that but that's because it's not really what I'm thinking about all the time I'm not Jewish but yeah, uh, yeah. and someone else might be much much more aware and keen about that sort of thing so yeah I totally get it's a matter of opinion it's a matter of boundaries and it's a matter of you know finding out for yourself and what you're comfortable with rather than well I you know there are so many sound bites out there, aren't there? And it's so easy to get yes. super swayed by someone being like, well, Wagner was a Nazi uh, and Wagner, Wagner was anti-Semitic, so therefore no. And it's like, okay, yeah. Um, but I'm still going to do my reading and see what I think, if that's okay. I think that's that's totally fair. And like, I think that's what we're encouraging. And in, in this in, initial kind of idea, it's important that we all kind of do our own reading and work out where we stand on all of these issues. So I know that's not really a very clear, like for argument, but it is our opinion that, you know, we all have our own personal boundaries on these types of things. Okay. Let's do the against much easier. This is a call for Helen Daniels to costuming. Once again, this is a call for Helen Daniels to costuming. What about a no answer to this? No, we cannot put these aside. Mm. I think both of us were immediately drawn and we immediately thought about Madame Butterfly, Puccini, um, because, you know, it's it's presenting this exoticism uh-huh. and y- you said this nice word, actually, so I can't claim this, the fetishization mm-hmm. of Eastern culture. Yeah. Um, and that's how exactly what it was written to be. Mm-hmm. It was for Western audiences to be like, wow look at them they're so different we're so other Mm -hmm. and how can we with good consciousness perform that now yeah um what how how can we make it work and i think it's important that we consider that like you know puccini admittedly had this huge fascination with the east you know it's not just madame butterfly it's turandot there's there's aida oh no sorry that's betty Mm -hmm. (laughs) sorry everyone (laughs) there's a huge amount of written work that kind of supports this idea that he just, you know, this othering mm, of mm-hmm, the East. Mm-hmm. And for me, that becomes 
problematic. You know, when we were sitting there being like, you know, what are cases in which I can't separate, uh, you know, these opinions in terms of the work. And, you know, I went to see this production of Man and Butterfly and um, I know it divided opinion. I know mm-hmm. lots of people thought it was fantastic. It was a revival, a revival of like a 2012 production at Covent Garden. But for me personally, um, I, I didn't massively love it. And I found it to be really quite basic. Uh, and it does all the things that I have the problem with. It, it, it continued to, to fetishize and it, and it just, it didn't help itself in, in many ways in terms of the in my opinion, the staging, the costuming, the, you know, so much of it was just park and bark Mm, and and here mm -hmm. it is. And within that, you know, I looked at there and I I kind of thought, I don't know how comfortable I would feel to be in that production because I did a little bit of digging around afterwards. I was thinking to myself, okay, if there's talks beforehand that kind of explain that this is a, um, a look in a, a window into yes. the past if this is how things were in in you know kind of the late 19th century and this is how culture was so let's take a look at it and think about it afterwards i could kind of get on board with that but there wasn't really it was just uh this is a revival of an incredible production get in there and enjoy it and um i think for me in on on those terms that's where i have the problem but in, that is in particular because the work and the views, you see them, you you see these f- fetishizations of, of Eastern culture. And I think we're moving into a place where now I, I, I don't think we can do that without additional qualification of some description. For me, that's where I kind of maybe draw a line. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And I think also for me, you know, when you see like generic whatever culture presented on stage, yeah. again, back in the late 19th century when they really didn't know much about the culture that they were presenting and it was generic like here's a fan because we're in japan yeah come on um (laughs) we are like i i have a problem with that now it's like if you're gonna present the culture do your research present it i want to see it i I don't want to just see a stereotype on stage like reinforcing you know i want you to bring somebody in from wherever you're attempting to portray i want it to be you know i don't want some fucking white woman who's been to japan coming in and telling me like this is how they do it it's uh, sorry that's a lot of generic things i've just said there but you know the point i'm trying to make this shit should be nuanced now, especially when it's at such a high production level. Yeah, exactly. But I think what we're saying as we draw on this this general point here in terms of why we might have problems with Madame Butterfly is at the end of the day, in terms of putting our opinions aside to perform music by people whose views we disagree with, it's a matter of our own boundaries, our personal boundaries. What do we feel comfortable doing? And kind of like we said before with Wagner, if you do the research and you decide that you don't feel comfortable forming a work, right, I totally respect your views on that. In the same way, if I sit there and do my research and I feel that this Puccini production is a little bit offensive and I don't want to do it, in my mind, that's okay. And Mm. I've I've done my work and I'm I'm going to form my opinion and that's that. But each person, each singer, our boundaries are different because our life experiences are different. And all of that, you know, these are sensitive topics Mm -hmm. and we have Mm -hmm. to be careful when we take them into account, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, moving on. Can we put our opinions aside to work with people whose actions and opinions we disagree with? Hmm. Okay, so on the yes side, Mm -hmm. it's a job. Singing is a job. It is a career. It is not just a hobby. And 
in almost all walks of life, in almost all careers, we have to work with people that perhaps we don't like, that perhaps whose opinions we disagree with. And it's just a fact of the matter of the work that we do. And I, I think often we have been sold a bit of a pipe dream of like, creating music is this beautiful artistic world where, you know, everybody's friends and everybody gets on and it's the dream. And obviously, I mean, what an incredible world that would be if that was the case. But oftentimes we will potentially have to work with uh, cast members, directors, conductors, whatever, that perhaps we we don't get along with. But I mean, that's, that's just life, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. You know, especially in the worldwide operatic career, you know, you'll be working with singers, conductors, whatever, from all, all different countries or cultures or age brackets as well. So like, you're going to have a wild variation in opinion on mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. And like... I think that's a good point. And actually, you know, the, probably the big difference in terms of like a, a kind of nine to five job and, and this career is like we work with so many different people. So, you know, in an office, you kind of have the established members of staff and then every once in a while they rotate. But in an operatic career, it's new casts, new organizers, directors, conductors, whatever. It's lots of people. Mm-hmm. And so the odds are that every single person you just think is an absolute gem. I mean, it's never going to happen. And we all need to develop, uh, I think, methods and systems of being able to kind of put those differences aside and, you know, be able to find ways to work together. Surely that is the professional thing to do. Exactly. And also, you know, ultimately, if we're trying to create something that is probably divorced from all of these different opinions on stage. So mm-hmm. I think where my boundaries would lie and me saying yes to a production if there are some people in the cast or creative team uh with whose opinions i don't agree wow that was so hard for me to say um then it depends like if for example the director i don't know is really homophobic or something whatever yeah if that doesn't get shown in the work of art that we are presenting yeah i don't have a problem with it i think also actually in in many ways this runs quite smoothly into our converse point i think what you're saying now in terms of like say there's some homophobic views and they don't come into the arts you're you're not uh too bothered by it i think also it's like if those views don't come into the artistic process Mm -hmm. as well yeah of course yeah so you know just there we've we've put forward a case of okay this is a job so we can put our opinions aside and, and work with these people if we look at the other side of the coin, reasons why why we might say no, I do think, again, it's it's a matter of, of boundaries. And it's like, if these people, whoever, have opinions and, and social views, political views that perhaps you disagree with, you know, in my mind, that's stuff that sits outside of the rehearsal room. It sits outside of this production. It shouldn't come into it in any way. However, say if prejudices do come in, as you say, like, homophobia misogyny whatever and they start to infect the rehearsal space infect the working environment for me that's that's a boundary breaker and yeah if if you're if you're displaying to me tendencies that i think are are manipulative or that i really strongly disagree with then as i say that for me is probably a step too far but i think a massive part of it is knowing what your boundaries are i'm sure for some people perhaps they don't feel that way they don't you know they they probably just say a job is a job Yes, and, exactly. And Don't get run, involved. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Run forward and, and it's, you know, get get the work done and moving moving forward. What's next? 
And that's a perfectly understandable method, I think, in, in, in this industry and the work that we do. But if, if there are certain principles or things that you really feel are kind of core values for you yeah. and they are in some way being compromised by being part of this production in seeing somebody's actions, views, whatever. Um, yeah, that's probably like my, my line where I'm like, okay, this probably is something where I actually can't put my opinions aside yeah. and I'm going to have to... I'll walk away from it. Exactly, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, that and if... I don't want to be part of a work of art that is presented in public portraying opinions that I thoroughly disagree with. Yeah. Yeah, uh, as well. That. Yeah, that, that that's exactly where, where the boundary is for me. Yeah. yeah. This is a call for Alex Simpson, two wigs and makeup. Once again, this is a call for Alex Simpson, two wigs and makeup. And then finally, opera in particular. <laughs> opera is a very difficult one because often it's a case of showing works that are hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, political and social opinions have changed, you know, since the 16th century. Or have they? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but with that in mind, it does mean that a lot of the content uh, within some of the most renowned operas can be contentious. Uh, it can be misogynistic. It can be uh, racist. It can be, uh, yeah, homophobic. It, it, it can be, you know, everything under the sun. What do we do about that? Mm. And, and how do we contend with looking at operas that perhaps offer ideas that we really disagree with? What, what, what are the solutions there? Well, one thing that would be really nice is to, if you're going to perform certain operas that are contentious or something, you know, inform the people that watching them. The people. The people. Inform everyone involved. Like, have have a discussion as a cast. Mm-hmm. Be like, mm-hmm. okay, we're doing this show. Where where do people think the, the problems lie within the show? Yeah, I was just going to say, in Germany, uh, before every production, they have a Konzeptionsgespräch. Sorry? <laughs> Konzeptionsgespräch. Which is uh, a discussion on the conception, like the concept. Wow. So they know why it's happening, what is happening, what the theoretical ideas are behind the production. And I was like, imagine, imagine if that was like a really common thing we did. I mean, it, it might not solve all problems, but perhaps it, it allows like a chance to raise some questions like, why are you doing what you're doing? Or like, have you thought about, I don't know, a converse opinion in, in relation to Yeah, right, to exactly. Um, but I think something that we're both very keen on is like, why can't there be more sort of free programs, program notes, just something trying to explain, contextualize, historicize, oh, you know, just give information about, you know, Absolutely. it was written at this time when this political view was rife. Yeah. And we are presenting it in this way and shining a light on this in order to, I don't know, raise awareness of this. But obviously we can't do everything mm-hmm. because whatever yeah but yeah. we still want to perform this great work of art because the music and and everything in it is great 100 percent. Right? you know whether it's i don't know a pre-concert talk before the premiere whether it is some kind of video discussion but uh yeah as you say pr- program notes uh for me is such a bone of contention i just think it's outrageous to ask people to pay seven pounds for a program <laughs> i especially if you constantly spit out that you're trying to attract young people it's like we are so... I mean, am I young Why anymore? can't I scan a yeah. QR code and get it free on my phone, absolutely, huh? Absolutely. Why, and I'm not asking... I don't even need the full program. No. Give me the, the bones that allow me to understand what is happening. And, and you know, when I saw that Man and Butterfly in particular, I thought, gosh, you know, if, if that was my first opera, I might have some, some questions or some issues there. Now, mm. I know that's not the case for everybody, but isn't that a worrying thought? 
that you've had somebody come for the first time and they see this opera for the first time and they're a bit like, oh, oh gosh, you know, is this is this how opera is? I know it's just one person's experience, but it's still something to be considered in my mind. So, you know, yeah, whether it's pre-concert talks, whether it's solid program notes, whether it's even at the start of the production, you know, somehow kind of saying this is a window into an old concept of how we look at X, Y, Z. I, I don't think there's any there's any harm in that. Um, but I think another, you know, final little point that we we wanted to mention was also like, is there not here like a creative opportunity to work around some of these issues and actually i was in a production just before the summer where some of the content was a little bit on the nose in terms of misogyny and yeah you know some language didn't feel particularly uh, comfortable you know all of us using but the director interspersed a lot of this music with um sections of like a feminist text that he'd, he'd read and found particularly endearing and it kind of then became this dialogue i suppose between the pieces and then the the commentary and it kind of made you look backwards at what you just heard and and you know it it offered a kind of critical eye Mm. on the music it didn't just sit there and go like lol we've just used this language like lovely um and lol women should be in the kitchen (laughs) ha 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 you know it, it was more of like a gosh can you believe that we used to think that can you believe that that's only 50 years ago or whatever that kind of thing and I thought that was a really nice way to keep the music and and work with the music, but offer something that that then remains kind of what's the word relevant yeah. relevant to yeah, these yeah. times. That's um, very that's remarkable because you know spoken plays you can update them yeah. in so many ways. You know Hamlet, there are a thousand ways to have different genders playing yeah. different roles or whatever. You can there are so many ways to update and make it relevant or whatever. Whereas it is so much harder to do that with opera. You, you know, you can't just swap like the soprano will sing, sing the tenor line because that'll yeah. be terrible for everyone involved. You're totally um, right. So you've got to find these other ways. That sounds like a really fun, creative solution. Uh, the well, idea solution, was nice. But, I yeah. liked it. And I, I think, as you say, like in plays, there's almost a little more. Actually, I found it interesting when I went to the Globe, we were talking about this before. Like, I guess when I think of Shakespeare, I kind of think of it in the same line as like Mozart, you know, right. it, it's, it is sacrosanct, unchangeable. Yeah. You, you cannot, you know, adapt anything. Um, but actually, what was really nice about going to see The Tempest was like the, the jokes were relevant and, mm-hmm. and completely w- within like, you know, 2022. And it was funny and, and there was a really nice kind of energy and, and uh, dialogue really with the audience and I, I just thought oh how interesting like yes obviously these people it's Shakespeare and it's it's the best of the best but they are still playing with it and they're still moulding it to, to this century and to today's views and yet we are so bound still mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. is there is there a way of us getting out of that I hope so and I'd like to see what that looks like All cast, all cast, this is your five-minute call. Repeat. All cast, all cast, this is your five-minute call. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we'd love to hear from you. So please get in touch with your thoughts, comments, and ideas on what you've heard. How can people get in touch with us, Alex? I think maybe an email is nice. Uh, our email address is where's my freaking dressing room at gmail.com. Of course, we also have our beautiful website. The address is www.wheresmyfreakingdressingroom.com. We're also on social media. You can catch us on Instagram at dressing room pod. 
Facebook forward slash dressing room pod or Twitter at dressing room PO1. Don't forget to like and subscribe and give us a beautiful five star review. Join us next week when we talk about nepotism. Bye. Bye.